0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Black Woman's Hour. I have decided to keep my Valentine's flowers here in the back, um, and I'm going to keep them every week so you can see them die a little bit more like my feelings for the man who gave them to me. How's everyone doing? I'm joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <I'm No. fine. laughs>
1: uh,
0: how is everyone? So we have uh, my trusty sidekick, Aisha. Hello. Hi,
2: everyone.
0: See, I'm covering my hands, this is strategic, because I have like three nails left. Um, (laughs) 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 It should be one less every week, right? It pretty much has been. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Joelle, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, really, really good. We have Joelle Robinson Brown, I should um, say his full name. And we have Father Jude. I thank you for coming.
1: Thank you. Um, It's really good to be here, I'm I'm so delighted. I mean, it's uh, an easy day. Uh, but um, I'm also going on to another program later on. So, what well, I've had an easy day so far.
0: You see how the way he does that? He hatches <laughs> his escape plan. Like, I need to be out of here. Okay? I'm you- so happy that Julia came on because honestly, I'm literally like the annoying person at parties to him. <laughs> he's, like, he's nodding. Like, <laughs> I see like, at Mark's party. I've seen you at uh, Black Pride
1: and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, whatever, Julia. You're like, Please restrain this woman. Well, honestly, I mean, I have I have invited Jarrell to Pride a few years, but because he was far away, he hadn't been able to come. But I'm still trying to convince uh, Lady Phil to appoint myself and Jarrell as a chaplain to the UK Black Pride. They because, should do. Yeah, I love that. We're, we're, we're still the only two Black, gay and proud Christian clergy. Yeah. <laughs> so. so you've never
3: been to Black Pride, Jarrell? I was in I was out of London for eight years and then right. Pride happens on a Sunday as well. So it was it was just impossible.
1: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> well you should you should see how I get to, oh. to this thing. Immediately church service finishes. I'm not talking to anybody, I'm that shit. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like but it's just been a really interesting I love black pride. I really do. I mean the thing I love with Black Pride, I mean the thing with Black Pride is uh, Black Pride also started to consider creating platforms for LGBT people of faith to have those difficult conversations. And it also gave House of Rainbow an opportunity to be present in that space so that we can answer questions. Um, We can create a quick mini 15 minutes pastoral care so that people know. It could be one question, you know, that will lead to other exercises that we can follow up with. And I think that, you know, not just myself and Jaro, but I'm sure that there are other ministers as well that would join us, you know, to be part of
0: that. I've missed it. I can't believe, like, Black Pride, I don't even go to normal, normal Pride, see? I'm othering it. But I don't even go to the regular Pride anymore because I want to keep my energy for Black Pride. <laughs> like, I love Black Pride so much, but I think it's really important. And we're just going to go, like, literally. Oh, before, Aisha wanted to bring up a new story. Go on, Aisha. Oh, yeah. So, um... Kim Kardashian West has filed for divorce
2: from Kanye and I wonder I mean obviously you guys must have followed his church. Was it paid to get in church if I'm not mistaken?
3: It was yeah.
2: You know like church as a festival, church as a money-making exercise and, and a total lack of understanding about Jesus. I mean I feel like he did cast some Money lenders from a temple but <laughs> I don't know much bible but I know that so I wonder whether you guys think that there'll um, be any more church coming out of that
3: I kind of really loved um, I had I've kind of fallen in and out of love with Kanye so many times like when he said the thing about yes. people chose slavery or whatever crap he said I was just like nah done then I listened to Jesus is King the album and I was like oh wow like I was vibing out with the Holy Spirit in my room because I loved it. <laughs> but then you see other bits of him and I'm just like, gosh, like, what's going on? Um, but I think his kind of relationship to Christianity is a weird one. That like, He does try to exploit it sometimes for stuff in a way that's not helpful and not not really benefiting people. So I'm a bit like, I'm wary of him still. Um, and I know he's been through his own struggles and he's someone that's really wrestling with like life and grief, I think. I think he is still... like for his mother. Yeah, it's deep, mm. really, really deep. Um, a priest friend of mine in the States. I think the the person that cared for his mother is in his congregation. And he was saying to me that like people, this was like five years ago, underestimated completely how much um, that loss impacted him. That was massive. And And how long
0: grief can take. Definitely, definitely. I think (laughs) it's It's really hard for him because he almost paid for, like the way he probably sees it is he paid for his mother's death. You know, he thought he was doing something nice for her. He thought she was getting the implants and getting a tummy tuck at the same time. He paid for all of that and she never woke up from it. And I think that has got to really have messed with his head completely. But I think his complicated um, relationship to Christianity is one that I know I certainly have. Um, How do you guys put together being men of faith and, black people, right? Because today, you know, especially like you are from the continent. Like I will never forget the famous Desmond Tutu quote. Like um uh white people came to Africa and taught us how to pray. So it's like something like we yeah, I I don't know exactly but we, we <laughs> knelt down and they gave you, us the Bible this the land. Right. <laughs> they had the land and we had the yeah. Bible. Like what the hell? And I think it is such a a thing of complication for so many people. She's just laughing about it. Like, I, you think, had... I, think, I,
1: th- I think for me, I mean, there are two things before I actually come to the Desmond Tutu quote. I, I think with Kanye, um, Kanye West and, and Kim Kardashian, um, for me, honestly, when, when things happen to celebrities, it seems to have been blown out of proportion. What they're going through is what ordinary people are going through. There are thousands of other... know that's happening that's just as painful as this couple but i think i do understand you know the whole image of the celebrity thing they're all in the public eye so every single detail is i mean they put themselves on reality television so you know this is part of that journey as well so you know they can't even ask for privacy now because everything has been there played out i to be quite honest i wasn't even very connected with the whole Church thing that he would, or they were doing. But obviously, I also listened to Jesus' is King album and I thought the lyrics were fine. You know, everything seemed so well. But nonetheless, I mean, the, the time that I started to have real problem with Kanye himself was his relationship with Trump. And also when he started quote unquote his own presidential campaign, and then he broke down. And there was a time where he was having this ridiculous argument, you know, um, whether or not um so Harry Tobman should be on the money, you know? And I, I thought, no, come on, guy. You need to know your history, you know, as a black person. You know, if your skin tone is not white, you need to know your history. Otherwise, people will tell you what is not your history. On Desmond Tutu, to be quite honest, um, Desmond Tutu will forever be my hero. Desmond Tutu has many quotes that are so centered on liberation and inclusion. And I think that, you know, the one that you could just now, it sounds like a joke, but it's almost true. So tell me, when do white people have difficulty getting visa to go to Africa? When, why are white people not called immigrants? Why are they called experts in Africa? So, and you know, I've had my own share of problem as well, because um, a, a black person has called me a disgrace to Africans. You know, I'm an embarrassment and a disgrace to Africans because I embrace the colonizers' religion. So, I mean, we need to, to, to tutor people and flip the coin. That, no, I don't, to be quite honest, I mean, myself and Jerry were having this conversation yesterday with some of our colleagues in Kenya. And we need to let people know that actually Christianity started, you know, in, in the heartbeat of Africa. Europeans, maybe when they did the translation or something, you know, they, they, I mean, they manipulated it seriously and then they brought it back to Africa in, in a different form. Um, I'm gonna shut up in a minute because I, I want to hear other voices myself. But someone did say to me the other day, um, we're having this conversation that, can you actually, um, can, can you practice African spirituality alongside Christianity? <laughs> i tell you what my answer was, yes, you can. There is nothing wrong with the rituals. There is nothing wrong with Yemoja, Shango, all of those things, they're deity, Yosami. But because, you know, and evangelicals have had a different view on it, you know, they've, they've, they've put kind of evil spirit to it. They've attached it to demonic spirit. That means that people are now afraid of their own culture practices. And um, that is why I'm still a big fan of the African independent or indigenous churches. You know, know, the whole white garment church has something that is so powerful, you know, both the ritual and and the Christian ethos to it.
0: Okay, can I just take you back to something you've said because I got into a similar type of argument and I had somebody who said like Ethiopian Christians and stuff would find your attitude very offensive towards because they went we don't even realize what the history of Christianity is because as far as a lot of black people are concerned that got introduced to us with slavery and it was like literally a way of control so do either one of you two want to break down really really quickly just like to let people know where it started.
3: So that's my like bag really is the history of Christianity that's what I'm really interested in and it's what I write about a lot um and the reality is that this idea that You know, white people brought us Christianity is a myth, because what they brought wasn't even Christianity, it was, I don't know, some other kind of, you know, distortion of the truth, really. Um, But the long and short story is that that, um, Christianity has been in Africa, particularly North Africa, for so long, and St. Mark is the person who brought it, so St. Mark went to Rome, he saw Peter die, um, and then he went to Egypt, to Alexandria, to write down his version of the gospel, so Mark's gospel was written in Alexandria. Um, And then Mark dies and is martyred in AD 62, and that's when the start of Christianity really takes off in in North Africa. Um, And a lot of people, I think particularly black people, we look at Ethiopia because the Christians there are darker. And we think that that must be um, where we need to look if you want to see the kind of older Christianity. Um, But the reality is we have to look at Egypt because the Ethiopian church um, began in, in Egypt and saw Egypt as its kind of headquarters. And the Egyptians at that time were darker people um, than the people that are there now. But Coptic Christianity, it's it's that Christianity, African Christianity that preserved the oldest um, texts of of scripture, which are now in the British Museum in London. Um, But they were found in in, um, Egypt, in Sinai. Um, All of the original theologians and saints who contributed a lot to Christianity, so Augustine, Athanasius, Cyril, um, Origen, all the, the greatest scholars of christianity were writing and living in north africa um, so christianity is ours in a, in a very kind of genuinely historical way and i think actually none of that history is taught to us um we have to discover it and it's still distorted um, but from ad 62 that's like you know 600 years before it came to england
1: But <laughs> right. you know that this is why black history is very important mm. but we all know that you know the centuries of slavery has also robbed us of the promotion of, of black history. I mean, just imagine if there was no slavery, and you know, we're able to continue the circle of education. And you know, there are some amazing history, like Queen Amina, you know, of Nige, of Zaria of Nigeria. You know, Queen in in Ginga of the former, um, ang- the current Angola. You know, uh, nation and many others that we we many of us don't know, but all of those histories have been denied or robbed away from us. But I just want to say one thing in addition to uh, what Jaro said. Um, I don't think that Christianity was monolithic, you know, even in its origin. There were still other religions that were practiced even in the time of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ didn't condemn all the religions, you know, know, he is promoting the religion of love and inclusion and justice. And that is what's more important. And you can see some patterns today even within Christianity itself, there are Christian denominations that believe that their brand of Christianity is the right one. So, if you belong to um, X Y Z Church, no, you have to come to A B C Church. So, I mean, this is some of the problem that we're having. You know, I I've, I believe that you know Christianity is great, but you know, it is not the only pathway you know, to God. And I say that convincingly as a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if someone has found something that works for them, you know, I think we should celebrate that, you know, rather than demonize it. And that is what a lot of Christian evangelicals or evangelism have done, particularly if we look at the Black nations, you know, they have literally rubbed off of everything and imposed a completely different um, theological view upon nations. Preach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> preach, preach preach. Um, no, I totally
0: see what you're saying and I agree with it um, because I think I take a little bit from everyone. Like I find a lot in Islam makes a lot of sense. I think in Islam, they have a thing they call just people of the book. So they're quite respectful. Like they matter if you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim or whatever, it's like you are people of the book. And we will respect that because the Abrahamic faiths all, you know, you often see like the one and then the three things shooting out, like they have more in common than they have differences if you practice it properly. Um, To go back to something that really upsets people, something that you just said, like, okay, was Jesus black or white? (laughs)
1: I'm <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I understand so but, because I mean Gerald and Gerald your focus on the history is very good so you go first and of course we can always come in with you know what we've been taught what we now know you know all of those things
3: so I, I in my theology call Jesus black because I think there's a very strong theological argument to be made for why that makes sense um, and it's to do with where Jesus placed himself in his life as an actual human being. But of course, he wasn't black in the sense that we are, right? Um, but he wasn't white, definitely not white. <laughs> um, and that's, that's just a kind of crazy thing that seems to have stuck in people's minds. And it's a huge problem. You know, Jesus was Middle Eastern. So I, I imagine he looks like most of the people in Palestine and Israel today. Um, but that's like, you know, olive brown, definitely not white. Um, he wouldn't have looked Scandinavian like he does in most churches in London or around the world um, and the funny thing is um, when you look back at history and look at the earliest depictions of Jesus um, that proves how the earliest Christians imagined him and remembered him um, but you know in the, in the kind of life that Jesus lived in and the kind of way in which he died um, he dies and lives a very black life if we look at the the world that we inhabit today and the kind of lives that we live, you know, Jesus was poor, he was homeless, he had an unjust trial, he was put to death by the state, by the empire, and there was no justice, you know, right? And and his closest friends and his um, disciples were outcasts, marginalized people, the very people the church is turning its back on today in so many places, um, the people that are beyond the church walls. So Jesus is black in that sense that we would rub shoulders with him, if he was walking the earth today, because he would be in the spaces that we inhabit and would be alongside us. Um, he's white for people that need him to be white.
0: <laughs>
3: but not in reality.
0: Go on. Go on. Are going to say, oh, Jesus is politically black?
3: Absolutely, yeah.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, it like, you said something there. You said it's how they remember him or how... Do you think they remember him like that? Or do you think that was a deliberate choice to make him an Aryan, blonde, blue-eyed, Hitler fantasy type of person? Um, well, it
3: is. I think all art is a, is a deliberate choice. It's not by chance. And I think it's, you know, there's something about the fact that when you look at black artists, so, you know, if I look at the the art in Ethiopia or, or in Egypt, for example, um, that's created by those people, Jesus doesn't look Scandinavian because all of us kind of want to create God in our own image. And therefore, the white depictions of Jesus are about white people wanting God to be white. Um, but art is really powerful and it says a lot about what people think should be associated with holiness and with the divine and when we see you know particularly in Christianity the language of you know the light being holy and um you know darkness being a symbol of evil that also says something about how we see the world and how we understand people um you know this idea that darkness is somehow bad so, is a really weird thing yeah
0: can I ask you both like oh sorry did you want to say
2: something sorry I was just going to ask whether you think that so long ago, those kind of associations were based on just, well, evolution and the fact that it's scary in the nighttime when it's dark and it's beautiful in the sun when it's sunlight, but then people ascribed things to them that they needed to ascribe to them in order to make themselves, to elevate themselves or to denigrate somebody else.
3: You know what's scary? Cause I thought that, but actually even in, when you look back in history, even in late as the fourth century, there was already anti-blackness, Um, and actually anti-blackness within black writers. So someone like Origen, for example, who was born in Alexandria is an Egyptian and is black and writes about prayer. One of the earliest theologians really, um, also writes about blackness in a negative way. And often the Ethiopians are like the scapegoats for everything that's evil and wicked. So even then, even though we're not talking about race, we're really talking about ethnicity, there is anti-blackness in the early church. And it's really interesting to try and work out where that's coming from.
1: You said that was false. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. And I think that the influence on the image of Jesus is definitely art. You know, I mean that popular blonde hair, blue eyes picture, I think it caught the wave around the world. Even my late mother had a big picture of blonde hair, blue eyes, and you can't tell her otherwise. So so that was the same. But I strongly believe that nighttime is not scary. I think we have to think about the things that made it scary, okay? You know, the majority of the world population are sleeping because it is naturally nighttime. And of course, those who want to rob your house will go out in that time. You know, all of those things were happening. So it was associated with nighttime is bad. It's really, really bad. But I think that when the the, the example that Jaro gave about the dichotomy between black and white also tells us something. And if you look at history as well, you know, even in Nigeria, if you're a light-skinned person in Nigeria, in the eastern part of Nigeria, you're actually more favored. Um, let's take it to South Africa where this, the color of your skin will be speaking about your privileges. So the more lighter skin you are to the white person, the more privileged you are. So if you look at you know, South African apartheid, for example, you know lighter-skinned people, they call themselves colored, well, they're all black as far as I'm concerned, you know, the hold themselves colored, you understand know, me, had more privileges even under the apartheid regime. And if you go even to the Caribbean, because I did visit um, Antigua, light skinned people in some parts of the Caribbean are favored into administrative office job. But if your skin is darker, you're gonna have to go work outside. So it seems like that, and of course, the art has impacted that. Let me come back quickly, on the point of the image of Jesus. I did some studies in South Africa, the College of Transfiguration. In the chapel, they had um, a statue of Mary and um, the mother of Jesus, Mary and Jesus. It was a black African woman, seriously. So I mean South African, black South Africans actually favor you know images of Afro hair and you know uh, Big Mama as the mother of Jesus. Then, of course, there's, there's also very popular murals in Brazil that depicted the disciples as all black people, especially if you go to the city of God in those areas, because you know, we had Brazilian bishops that came over to England, actually to Westcott and did a whole workshop, you know, just showing us about how people see themselves and, and what image they are paying attention to. The other thing I'll say is that the image that was popular was due to power so if your colonizers are telling you that jesus christ is the lord then they cannot then give you a picture of a black jesus when they are demonizing and dehumanizing black people it's just so impossible so you can see that there is a power about what image you we present to the people
0: that was just something i was going to hit on actually but you just answered it in the last bit yeah. like There is definitely a relationship with black people seeing Jesus as black in terms of resistance, because you're talking about South Africa, we know the painful, painful history of apartheid and what happened there. So to me, it doesn't surprise me that, I mean, until I had that one there, I was going there from like 2009, every single year. So I really, when I go to a place, I kind of engross myself into the politics and what's happened and stuff. And there is that kickback, and Brazil is another place which I, after COVID, please God, really want to go to. But they have such racial segregation and problems. So yeah, I do think it's, um, bless you. I do think it can be a very empowering thing for black people. So what would you say to black people who were brought up in Christianity? And like you said, your mum would not accept anything else but the blonde blue-eyed Jesus and I went to church with this Jamaican girl that was doing my hair and she was totally into church and stuff and I went there and they gave out these pictures for the kids to colour and her kids just put Jesus blonde and what and I was like does this not bother you does it matter is what I'm asking does it matter
3: it does I think it does a lot um because you know I would say that and this is what I've been writing about recently, that it's not enough to call Jesus black or to call God black. That Actually, we need now to call God black and gay and disabled and a refugee and trans and all these things. Because I think, you know, our ideas of God are so powerful that actually they can, they can demonize whole people for so long in such a powerful way. So it really does matter how the divine in any sense beyond Christianity is depicted or referred to because, you know, if God... If God can't be certain things then it means that those people who represent those things you know don't have anything divine or or unique or um you know eternally of value and that's really problematic because at that point you can do away with people because they have no no divine image in them and I think actually for me you know I need to be able to call Jesus black and gay and queer and trans and an asylum seeker and a refugee um in this in this world you know um because that's, that's really important, I think. Absolutely, I mean, I think, I think when, we,
1: when we look even at creation, you know, the, the Bible says that God made them male and female, okay? And we, there's a different theology when we're not doing sexuality now. But I think that, you know, one of the things I always try to address is that what race was Adam and Eve when they were created? You know, there has to be both uh, a, a sociological and theological understanding because when you make one race powerful then that race becomes the oppressor then it becomes powerful because you know you can just imagine uh, hundreds of years ago the image of a black man on their knees looking up to a white man to save me you know we have seen that even today there are so many people that make themselves the white savior You know. the the black person does not need a white savior we can save ourselves now let me just say one thing again and i think that the use of those images in our history is actually fueling the power of the oppressor so it is not surprising that today there are white people that are still saying that black people are less than human and that to me is problematic so the idea of a white jesus honestly it anywhere is wrong. I mean, like Jaro said, yes, let's allow people to have their own image, you know, of God. Because if we are created in the image of God, then my picture could be sitting in somebody's front room and saying, that is God, that is Jesus. You know, so I think that's important. And I think that for, for young people, especially children, you know, we got to teach children, you know, to love themselves. There was a documentary, you know, that had dolls. I'm sure many of you have seen it. The documentary with young children, probably about three, four year old, asking them questions, which doll is the good one? Which one is the beautiful one? And all of these black children were pointing to the white doll. I said, oh, poor kids. You understand me? This is what the world has become, that even our own skin color is not beautiful because of the power of the oppressor or the image that media has given us over what is right, what is wrong, and what is good, what is bad.
0: I, okay, this is really interesting. Can I just ask you both? um, I just realized I don't know what the word is. I was gonna say, where do you both practice? But that's a lawyer thing, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) My ex is a lawyer, sorry. I I don't know, Jared, do you understand that question?
0: Where do you both like preach and stuff? And then I wanna go on to speak about what yeah, are they majority majority white? And how do they think of you guys who speak like this? So well, where I, are you, Joel, based?
3: Sure. Um, well, it's weird at the moment, I preach and do everything from here, from this room, because everything's virtual. But I'm based, uh, not in a parish, but at King's College London, which is a university um, chaplaincy. So I'm a chaplain there. And we have 50,000 students from massive range of backgrounds, 5,000 staff. And we're chaplains for staff, students and alumni. Um, But I find, you know, I find actually Kings is one of the most inclusive spaces I've worked in because the students have no time for injustice or prejudice or discrimination, like, they just haven't, they're just not like that. It's it's really challenging to me because I'm only a few years away from them in age, but I can already see a difference, like, they will protest like that, you know, they'll they'll strike, they'll do what they need to do um, without any hesitation, and I find that I get on with them really well because they understand me I don't have to explain myself to them whereas in parish context where I've been before um, they've been white majority often older and I often find I have to explain everything my theology my politics my sexuality all of it because people just don't understand um, but I love being in the context I'm in because um, the students they're just open-minded their world is is bigger than the world of most people in parish churches um, but that's where I am at the
0: okay yeah I mean for I me for yes. sorry are you, are you in Walthamstow are you in Walthamstow at some point are you still
1: there me uh, Judea. oh Jude uh yeah I'm still in the well not far I'm in Leitingstone now um no I mean I'm actually currently uh with the Church of England so my parish my local parish is St. Margaret's Church in Leitingstone um that's where I'm serving my curacy which obviously is Coming to an end in uh, probably about a month's time or so. Now, um, I think that, you know, obviously, in the context in which I I serve and I work, um, it's a mixed congregation, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that the issue of my blackness and my sexuality Mm -hmm. did not actually present a major problem. But of course, you know, there are people who would talk about it, um, but they will not confront me. But um, in 2019, you know, I did the documentary with the BBC called "Too Gay for God. And um, when the um, documentary was broadcasted, the very Sunday that followed that documentary, there were two people in the church that had an outburst. About how this is wrong, and um, you know, and and you know, they claim that I was running around in the documentary naked, and I don't know what the definition of naked is. You know, I only had my top off, and I was rubbing cream on my body when I I, I made a comment about you know, uh, cream businesses will go out of business if black people stop moisturizing, and I think that must have offended a few people. But having said that, um, Apart from that major incident, um, there are small ones, but apart from that major one, I didn't think that there were any other issues. I mean, there are uh, equal number of black and white people and other ethnic groups in my church congregation. But having said that, I also have the great privilege and honor um, to have been the founder of House of Rainbow, uh, a community that is um, exclusively welcoming, to marginalize people especially black African Caribbean LGBT people of faith and none we're very open I mean before the lockdown we provide safe spaces you know so that people can come together to worship to pray we have a circle of faith we have a lot of coming together you know and even questioning scriptures but a lot of those work we've moved we've moved online uh, in recent times the other thing I also say is that you know I also believe that I have a global ministry because the best part of four years, I was traveling around the world, you know, Um, and, you know, I I was in Africa, you know, I was in Jamaica, uh, not for a long length of time, but, you know, periodically I will visit these places where I share, you know, my ministry and time with people. So, I mean, that ministry I can say is radically inclusive mission because, you know, I want people to understand the love of God is inclusive and is not a monopoly. Uh, is inclusive for all people. So, um, but I really don't know. I mean, I'm very hopeful about the future because the conversation has changed, especially since last year. And um, and also, you know, I'm very encouraged by the ministry of um, Father Jarrell as well because, you know, I think visibility and speaking out is very, very key in these days. Otherwise, people wouldn't even know that we're in the room if we don't speak up. Absolutely, I
0: want to just, um, a couple of points. First of all, I've seen you live, your skin is banging, like it's glowing, (laughs) you have such amazing skin, it's great, so whatever they had to say, and I did see Too Gay For God, because like a good stalker, I watch everything that you do, (laughs) Um, and we will bring this in now, like the sexuality element of it, because we are celebrating on this show LGBT History Month, Although in America, it's Black History Month, so you guys have got it all going on at the moment. <laughs> <We're just laughs> celebrating across the whole world. So in, in terms of Christianity and your congregations and people that you speak to, um, okay, I'll do the first part of the question. When you come up against prejudice in a Christian world, are people more offended by the blackness or the gayness? which which one do you have more difficulty <laughs> explaining or or do you come up to have most resistance against do you know what i mean
3: i would say for me it's my blackness but it's the political side of it it's, it's it's my political blackness that people have a problem with more but probably because i'm more vocal about that than i am about being gay so and i think i think a lot of church people regardless of race actually struggle with Christians who are too political, because there's something about Christianity, apparently, which is meant to make us, you know, silent, nice, kind, quiet people who just let the world, you know, burn and don't say anything about what's happening. Um, yeah. I think that people struggle with that more. And I find the gay thing can become more of an issue in some spaces, but generally it's the political thing, I think.
2: Um, are you sure you were going to say? I was just going to ask, do you think that's whether that's because People have become more accepting of gay life recently, but obviously we only see very much white gay stories, but they can at least, that's at least, I'm not a homophobe, therefore I'm not going to have a problem with this, but they're definitely not examining their racism in any terms, so that they do have a problem with openly. You see, so maybe because you're being openly politically black, which I can't do anything but wholeheartedly agree with, by the way. But yeah, I wonder whether they have more of a problem with that because it caused them to actually question their own behaviour, whereas homophobia, they feel like they've they've sorted that.
3: Definitely, definitely. I think the church now, you know, since last year, um, with the murder of George Floyd, is trying to be a lot more aware about racial discrimination Because it knows that people are conscious of it in a different way, whereas the church is still really complacently homophobic because people will still make an argument for that from scripture, whereas people won't now so publicly use scripture to say that slavery is okay or that black people are not really human. Um, But that's, you know, the church is only doing that because it's, it's popular to do now, Mm. you know, um, it's still very homophobic and I think that would take a while to change.
2: You think? I think I think I think
1: that the, the the church can also still be very racist because um, there, there are certain uh, opportunities that are not given. I mean, I, I think that even Black Lives Matter last year was great around the world. But you know, I have come to a conclusion that white people are white people that are racist are simply hibernating until the next time they're going to be racist. So they've not actually changed. I think they've just they've just gone quiet because we've seen in recent times, you know, when a black person will say something, then they call that, you know, um, you know, they call that racist. Or because I mean, we still have to defend being black. I mean, I I'm, I'm tired of uh, breaking news. The first black person to do something. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, that's not breaking news. I think the world should be ashamed of itself or even a nation like the UK, you know, if it's the first black person to do that, you should be ashamed of yourself because there are black people around the world that has a, 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 as much intelligence that, than all these people that are now saying because it's becoming a status. Now, let me actually just respond to the question itself. I mean, in the context of church, you know, I have experienced xenophobia. People don't know that I'm. I was born in London because I don't brag about it. Of course, my skin color, Doesn't say born in London, so they were often assumed. When in church, somebody was telling me that, oh, Nigeria is bigger than the UK in land size, you can return there, there'll be enough room for you. Uh, and, And jungles as well. I was furious, okay? I did report this, but nothing was done about it. Racism, yes, in church. How about homophobia? And I think that the reality is that, you know, being gay and a Christian means that we're also called, you know, to be the agent of change. And sometimes that might be a very difficult one. I think that, you know, I mean, I don't want to speak for Jarrah, but I really see myself sometimes as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into a context that was already difficult. I remember one of his early uh, miracles, the, when he healed the unclean man, you know, the man that was found to be unclean at the temple. The man wasn't allowed inside the temple, because by the, by the Mosaic law, he was supposed to be outside of the temple and then when this guy came along you know he healed him on the sabbath day which is against the law so you can see i mean this guy was radical but what i also like is that the people said that with jesus christ spoke as somebody who had authority not like the pharisees and the scribe i love that scripture so much that you know so sometimes when we come along as black and queer people You know, we will speak with authority that those who are oppressive and marginalizing us have not seen before, and then that will trigger us something for them. And I don't apologize anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm black, I'm gay, and I'm just ready to be radical.
0: I agree, I agree. This is the thing that Jarell touched on it as well. Like people automatically assume Christianity means passive. And I know that a lot of times, when it comes to, uh, okay, so I'm going to take you to the Over the Pond, the case of Jeremiah Wright, um, who was a Obama's pastor. Do you know about him, pastor? I'm saying pastor like pastor you eat. No, pastor, like, <laughs> he was, do you remember when Obama first was um, running for president? Yes, 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 It was a very radical black yes. bishop yes. who was somebody, and I don't know if anybody knows. He did, he did he one practice. of the
1: invocation like, prayer. Huh? Ordination at his inauguration Obama's inauguration yeah he was
0: forced to publicly dump him and I don't know yes yes and there was um there's a guy I love called Bishop Talbot Swan who is has amused me for the last four years about Donald Trump he's just like you you uh you know you horrible rampant a sperm of a clansman, like he's just on it. But every time you see the criticism of Talbot Swan, it's always, you're supposed to be a Christian. How dare you say this? So like, I mean, we've touched on it quite a bit already. Like, so I understand how the radicalism or not even radicalism, just the honesty about your place in the world as a black person um, can be coupled with your faith. So, I mean, what would you say to people who have this assumption about Christians, like you're not passive, you don't have to be passive. Because I, like a lot of black people will not be involved in Christianity or don't wanna know. And that has been my big, I've uh, been through such a journey with it, like rebellion is, you know, I got into Islam because you can actually pray to hurt your enemies and stuff. That's incredible. <laughs> and I love that. So <laughs> like, yeah. people have, yeah, what would you say about it? I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I was
1: thinking,
2: you to bless her, please. <laughs> <laughs> lay please. On, on <laughs> please
1: lay hands on her, whatever it is,
3: whatever it takes. <laughs> Gosh, but I hear that though. I hear that definitely. There are some of the Psalms that are like, you know, please, Lord, crush the head of my enemies. And actually, you know, I feel that sometimes. <laughs> 100%. But I was, I was thinking, you know, people who say that you shouldn't, you should be passive as a Christian are always speaking from a place of privilege because they never had to be you know, anything other than that. And I think they should be grateful that they still have a life in which they haven't had to um, use rage or rebellion or violence to survive. But I come from people who were, you know, from Morwick Bay in Jamaica, you know, our ancestors from the Morwick Bay rebellion in 1865, it was led by a Christian called um, Samuel Sharp, who, um, you know, beat up and, and all the, the, the slaves basically rebelled against the um, colonizers of the time. And he was a Christian. You know, and that was that was a rebellion that had at its heart an understanding of Christianity that said, under certain circumstances, rebellion and violence are necessary and are okay. Um, you know, and what people forget is that as black people, when we read the Bible, by the time we've got to the second book of the Bible, we already understand God to be someone who liberates the oppressed because, you know, the Israelites are fleeing Egypt because Moses has been sent to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Um, actually if you if you are not someone who knows what oppression feels like you read the exodus story like oh that's a nice story you know you don't understand that actually it says something really powerful about who god is um so i just think people they're not reading scripture properly number one and they should be grateful that they haven't had to think about what anything other than passive christianity means um because if they had really experienced oppression they would realize that you know being passive doesn't set you free at all (laughs)
0: Joelle, you mentioned you are from a, a, you've got Jamaican heritage and Jide, you have Nigerian heritage. So have you guys been to either of those places as priests and spoken or no?
3: I haven't been to Jamaica as a priest, not yet. Um, yet. Um,
1: Well, I started House of Rainbow in Nigeria, so. um, Oh, really? But I mean, with my current um, ordination in the Church of England, I've not been back to Nigeria. But I've been to Africa. Um, I went to the Democratic Republic of Congo um, in 2019, where I I, I did I, I joined a Catholic mass. Um, you know, obviously as a visiting deacon. Um, yeah, I have done quite a lot of mission work. You know, around Africa as a minister, and you know I'm. Mostly, well, mostly I haven't been thrown out, any, because obviously you have to be mindful of your guests, what they understand, you know, and what can I can I say, what can I not say. I mean, I've been invited to uh, a church in Ghana to preach, and um, uh, the pastor there said, "Please don't say anything about homosexuality." So, um, so I just preach a regular sermon and. Drop out everything else, but I was as camp as anything else. So <laughs> you can't work it out.
0: Are <laughs> you
2: How did you feel about that? Like, what does that that do to you as a person? You know, when someone basically says, just ignore who you are.
1: I, yeah, I, I, I think it is, yeah, it, it is actually quite challenging. And yeah. to be quite honest, I mean, there are sometimes maybe for the sake of the gospel. And the sake of building relationship, you just need to manage the terrain uh, before you then, you know, obviously be able to be yourself. Um, I think location also matters, and I think that sometimes, you know, if you're building allyship with uh, a minister in Ghana, you also need to be mindful of his own um, his own location, his own job, you know. Um, because I mean, if they can welcome me into their pulpit, they've actually done a lot at that point. But I mean, if I then go there and said to start talking about you know gay people should be okay, you should accept them, that would not be fair on them. So it has to be strategic, to be quite honest. And you know, again, we also need to apply wisdom as well. I mean, people are seriously not stupid. Um, you know, <laughs> there was a context, you know, that I, I where you know someone accused me. Actually, no, let me drop that one. It's not going to be a good example because I think it would actually expose somebody else. But, but I think that the reality is that we have to be wise you know, on our journey. Um, you know, When I traveled to many of the African countries, I was very wise, you know, who I work with, what protection I've got, what security details are necessary. And I think that, that to me serves us better because we're able to reach the people that we needed to reach.
0: I agree with that, actually. And it's something that I've learned um, over the past few years. Um, in, oh gosh, which culture is it? Like, in, in Islam, they actually say you become an adult at 40. And I think there's a lot in that. There really is a lot in that. And um, I agree, because it just goes to a point where it might seem like a cowardly thing to say or do, but sometimes it's just not worth the energy, you know? And I do remember being at this party, and being picked up by um, the seat of my pants, literally, and my top and thrown out um, by this Jamaican, I was laughing, I was drunk, I'm so sorry, but I was cracking up. But he was just like, get out of here and stop preaching chichiology. And um, I I have that on my Facebook profile. Chichi, right? So, like, yeah, <laughs> he was like, You keep coming here preaching chichiology, right? And he was so upset. And afterwards, I thought about it and I was just like, You know what? Maybe at certain points, you just shut up and you don't have to. Hold on a second. Can you stop, child? So, sorry, everyone keeps seeing me do that because I look crazy, but there is a little person here. (laughs) No, no, Mion, no, no. Don't do it, Mion. I don't find it funny. Stop it. Um, So, I do think after, you know, and and going back to the Caribbean and seeing relatives and stuff like that, I do think that it's not um, conducive to changing people's minds sometimes. Mm. So, I I understand what you're saying. Hold on a second. No, please leave. I do understand what people are saying some sometimes about what Aisha's saying, like, how does it feel to suppress yourself? Yeah. But sometimes it's for your own safety and sanity, right? But also to build something. So
2: if you want to build a relationship to the point where they trust you, whether will, they will then lift it up, putting up walls, and we all do it, I think, certainly as a black person and as a woman, you know, I rarely ever start off my intro to people with, well, black things, you know? Or well, the patriarchy, you know? You know, unless you, what is it, Avin, you said, catch more flies with?
1: I think I think you're right because I also remembered when I went to Uganda, as many of you will know, Uganda is 80% Christian and mostly Catholic and also extremely homophobic. Um, so um, I did, I, I was, I kind of like tamed myself in Uganda because um, What was at the forefront of my mind is to ensure that I protect the people in the country, you understand me? I come second, third, you know, their their safety is far more important than mine because I can always leave the country, you understand me? Even if I was arrested in Uganda, the British embassy will come and get me, you understand me? And that's true because, I mean, I didn't notify them that I was gonna be in the country for X, Y, Z reasons. And so they were on the lot. And even when uh, an event in Uganda was intercepted and there was arrest, you know, the the embassy contacted me to find out if I was safe. So it's, it's, you know things like that. So and and you know you, we, you don't rock the boat uh, in places where you go. I wanted to actually just respond to the question about are Christians passive? Um, no, we're not. I, I think that Christians are called to do justice. If if we listen to a lot of the prophets. Jeremiah, Micah, and so on. They actually call Christians to do justice, not think about it, do justice. And I think that the life of Jesus in itself, honestly, I can't even think, you know, any part, at least according to the scriptures we read, that is not about justice. You know, Jesus Christ knows the law. I mean, he, he, he is God, but besides that, he's also very intelligent. And, 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 and one of the stories that I love so much is the story of the woman who committed adultery. There's no doubt that she committed adultery but it is the injustice around it you know there were two things where was the person she committed the adultery with and you guys that brought her here you know if you haven't committed a sin then you cast the stone i mean honestly that is powerful in itself and if the church and clergy can actually use that as an example every time that we want to you know um you know do something against somebody Ask ourselves who is without sin to cast the first stone. Every time you think that let me strangle this gay person. Let me me be homophobic in the church. Think about what Jesus did. He who is without sin to cast the stone. I think that we will have a better world I think that's gonna be my next sermon. Now now that I have it in my mind.
0: (laughs) Writing sermons now. Um,
1: (laughs) Sorry, I was on my
0: phone because I was looking, I couldn't remember what it was called, but it's really interesting what you said about Uganda. And I did a play on Radio 4 a few years ago with Deliso Chaponda. And we were basically two married comedians that went out. To, in fact, it kind of changed my mind about quite a few things. <laughs> like, So we were two married comedians who went out to, um, we couldn't say Uganda. i am probably getting in trouble for saying that. We couldn't say Malawi, he's Malawi from Malawi. And we couldn't re- use a real African country because the fallout would have been so bad. So we had to make up this African country, but essentially what it was, was we went back home to do some comedy and I was the bullish, awful, raised in London comedian that decided that I was gonna go back there and end homophobia and put myself into the world of trouble and actually had African people saying, um, you know, to the character basically, don't come here and do that. You don't have the right to do that. And I think you raised a really important point today. And I remember a letter from um, African LGBT people to Peter Tatchell a few years ago saying, get the hell out of our business. And I think it is, and I mean, I debated Peter Tatchell at RVT on this subject and stuff like that. I mean, Um, we were talking about Jamaican, we were talking about Biggie C and stuff like that. And he was just like, this is murder music. And this is what you do. And I was like, look, mate, I go to black gay nights and I see everybody dancing and there's nuance and there's layers and there's a culture that you don't understand. So what would you say to people like Jamaican background, Nigerian background? You guys really are one of the same, let's be honest. (laughs) Seriously, there was a Jamaican and Nigerian barber in Dawson and you could hear it like down the road because you guys really are the same people, but what would you say? How would you explain that layer? I guess you have a little bit, but what would you say to somebody about the culture and how you marry the two together?
3: I think for me, I mean, I'm not a massive Thatcher fan, but I think for me, you know, one of the, the things that my friends used to find really weird is sometimes on Sunday mornings, if they came to stay with me when I was um, serving in Cardiff, I used to play Town Sluden on a Sunday morning before going to church.
0: Yeah. And
3: my best friend was like, what's wrong with you? Why, you know, How can you listen to this music? How can you sing it? I was like, but I grew up hearing it. And for me, it's still, I don't know. I don't feel negatively towards it. And I feel like part of what it means to be a free human being is that I can choose what I listen to and what I engage with and what I read. Um, and I can, I can do what I want with that material and make it something that I enjoy. You know, I love the fact that I'm dancing to music that Capleton probably never thought a Black gay person would dance to, right? I like, I like that, I can do what I want with the art. I also think there's this idea that you have to kind of turn your back on your culture in order to be truly gay. And actually, no, for me, part of what it means to be who I am Means that all those things can come together and I live in that as I choose to live in it um, and I define what it means to be a black Jamaican, I define what it means to be who I am, um, you know it's not for people like you know it's not for white gay men to say you know how can you be this this and this, this must be oppressive for you, this must be negative. Actually um, there are so many um, black straight Jamaican men that I know who actually get on with me fine and actually are becoming allies. I've seen one one of my cousins particularly is on Instagram posting stuff about, you know, LGBT plus people. He's a straight Jamaican guy with how many baby mothers? Like... <laughs> true Jamaican. can become who they need to be. And I just feel like it doesn't help to say that to become this, you need to give this up. Um, well,
0: that's the thing though. I had a lot of um, friends who are quite angry with the likes of Peter Tatchell, where you all have like, Um, white gay friends of mine saying oh my god he's so amazing he's so brilliant and stuff and then you have black or muslim asian gay friends who go I'm so angry with that man because when I grew up he made me feel like I had to choose one or the other and we don't have to choose one or the other we can actually I mean what do you think sort of recently I mean you know that I've got the show RVT Joelle you come along today you haven't been yet I actually
1: actually want to respond to this point before it goes away. (laughs) I think think that, you know, honestly, I mean, I have worked with Peter Turchell. Peter Tatchell's heart is in a good place. I believe Tito Tatchell is someone that grows, and Peter Tatchell immediately accepts he's made a mistake, and he would do everything to correct that mistake. It wasn't only just on the modern music campaign alone, also the anti-gay laws in Nigeria, you know, I mean, Peter Tatchell is doing one thing that I think everybody needs to understand. The United Nations, you know, um, declaration says that everyone has the rights, you know, to, to, to their human rights and to be alive and everything. And that's what Peter Tatchell is fighting <laughs> But I think that the fact that Peter Tatchell is white, it makes it very uncomfortable because the very same law that we're fighting against in Africa was given to us by the British Empire, you understand me? And then you have a white man who is the spokesperson for the black community. It doesn't sit well. So that is why, We always say nothing about us without us. If you want to talk about Nigerian laws, bring the Nigerians in. If you want to talk about Malawi, bring the Malawians in, the Jamaicans bring the Jamaicans in. Do you understand me? And I think that's one thing. And I think that the other thing is I learned myself the experience of you cannot separate your uh, blackness, your Africanness, your Caribbean-ness from your sexuality, honestly speaking. When you come out as gay, the same food you ate before you came out as gay, you will still continue to eat them when you come out as gay. I mean, seriously, I love my eba and egusi and my amala and okra, seriously. And I'm sure, you know, Jamaicans love their, um, you know, African salt saltfish and <laughs> rice and peas and everything. It's true. Do you stop eating those food after you come out as gay? And to be quite honest, this also helped us to understand that being gay is not a white thing because if it's white, then the moment you come out as gay, then you have to go and eat fish and chips. (laughs) (laughs) Also, (laughs) also, I learned another lesson as well, you know, because I mean, House of Rainbow does a lot of support for asylum seekers. So there was one asylum seeker who happens to be Nigerian, uh, lives in Coventry. And, you know, Coventry obviously doesn't have a large black community, let alone Nigerian community. So he was very much part of the Nigerian community. and, and the church as well. So when he came to London and then asked for our support, I actually asked him, have you asked the community in Coventry? And he said, no. I said, well, then maybe you should ask them. He goes, "Today." And so I said, so why are you part of that community? He said, did they eat my food. They wear my clothes. They play my music. I can't separate myself from them. But there is one thing that I know that you understand far better than them is the support that you can give me as a black Nigerian gay man. And I, I, I remember that day up to today because I always under, try to understand the persecution. You know, I think people have the right to be part of their communities whether it's homophobic or not. You know, what we're saying for, to everybody, navigate you know, that area and make sure that you stay safe and alive. You know, I mean, I posted recently, I said to queer Nigerians, please do everything within your power to survive You know, your sanity matters. And I didn't say to them, please come to England because I don't want to get involved in any kind of people migration because that's another headline altogether. But people everywhere need to do everything within their capability to, to be safe, to be sane. You know, the mental health matters. But if at the end of the day, you're able to leave your country to a place you can find those peace, all well and good.
0: I just oh that's beautiful anyway and um, I totally agree and just to go back to something you touched on because I think we need to make this clear to people Um, you had just said that you know so many people believe that being gay is a white thing like there's no you know um, but there's history like there's historical evidence that there were LGBT people. Like um, someone said to me once, like if you look at every African language, that pre-colonialism, there's a word for gay people. It was literally just something that was accepted. So what would you, I don't know, what What would you want to say? Like some kind of word of encouragement to young um, black queer kids. What would you say to them in terms of, I guess we've covered it a little bit, but you know what I mean, just as a, a soundbite, Something L- to make L- me feel okay.
3: Lucille Clifton has a poem called, um, Won't You Celebrate With Me? And it's my favorite. And she was a, a black lesbian poet. Um, and in it, she says, um, you know, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. And I think those of us who, who grow up being black and queer and trying to work that stuff out, we know how difficult that is, right? We know that we come to some points in our lives where we're like, can I actually survive this? Can I live in a world that doesn't want me to breathe? Like, is it possible to be me and survive? And I just think that poem encapsulates for me what I think people like Gideon and I are able to, to show, which is that, you know, every day there'll be a challenge, but it will fail. Um, and it's just about being hopeful, putting one foot in front of the other. And I think creating that, that sense of chosen family, we speak about chosen family a lot in the queer community, Um, and I have that like some of my closest friends um, are not people that I was friends with back in primary school or high school but they're chosen family and they're people who mean as much to me now as my own actual blood siblings and blood relatives and I think you need to choose you know your good people and have those people close um, and let those people support you and that's really I think really important to to be able to survive and to live Um, I
0: think that survival thing that you brought up is really interesting because like if you see like black civil rights movements and whatever there's black queer people right in there at the beginning and we're like we owe our lives to these people and I just want to when I see homophobic black people going you don't get it like it really gets under my skin like you know um black lives matter like you know know, know, I mean even.
1: Even long before the, the civil rights, I mean the the, the king Onwanga um, of the current Ugandan country, um, he died in 1903. Um, you know, it was said that he was openly gay. He had relationship with men and women, of course. So there's also the um, uh, Queen Unzinga, you know, of the kingdom of Undogo, which is the current Angola. And of course, Angola has been in the news, you know, last year and this year because they have completely decriminalized homosexuality in in that country because they had a queen who was a bisexual woman. So, and, and, you know, there are also people, and I think that for me, it's also about the generations as well. Um, Of course, my generation, I would say 50 years and over, you know, being a pretty 55 year old myself, you know, I mean, of course, we, we were around in the time where we didn't have access to technology. So, and and obviously, and I'm always grateful to Jarrell, honestly, because I've said this to you many times, that, you know, you giving me my life back for when I was 29 years old, because I was very much in the closet at 29. So you're giving me my life back. And I think that will continue. A lot of young LGBT people will not know what it's like to live in a closet. They will not understand the fear of being LGBT. You Mm -hmm. understand me? And you can also begin to look at, you know, we're talking now, of course, Let's. I'm mindful of my privilege. I'm in England. Now imagine a 55-year-old gay man in Nigeria or Uganda. You know, the the, the horror of their life right now. Even a 29-year-old in those countries as well will be having a lot of challenges as well. You know, I get a lot of calls from Nigeria, from Africa to say, look, do they, they're about to force me to marry a woman. What should I do? Those are painful questions to ask. You know, aside from Ron, what else can I tell them? So I think that one thing that I will say um, in, in my own closing um, is that to LGBT people or even to my younger self, you're always right. And you always try to look for those people like you you need that. You need that visibility. You need somebody like you. And you know, let me just say one more thing as well, quickly. Um, I remember when Justin Farshadu came out as gay.
0: Oh, so sad. Oh. It was very
1: sad. Listen, I was already in a relationship with a woman. I was terrified, honestly. I, when he came out as gay, I was terrified, right? Because I saw Justin Farshadu has G.D. Macaulay. I mean, he just turned 60 years old. He's five years older than me. We could have been, we could have been boyfriends because he's so cute anyway. Listen, that's another story. Oh, bless him. You know, honestly, (laughs) let me come back to reality quickly. No, honestly, number one is that when he came out as gay, there were so many things that was parallel with me. British, Nigerian, Christian family, gay, of course, black. Who also Yoruba. Same tribe. So you can imagine that, wow, I no longer thought I was alone. When he died, excuse me, when he died, there was something
2: that,
1: I, I lost something. I was, I was mourning. And honestly, sometime in my life, in my future, I, I'm gonna have to create something, you know, uh, to remember him, you know? Because for me, honestly, I, I, it, was, it was sad that he had to die because of the time that he lived, the culture of oppression he lived under, you know? Anyway, I will course,
0: I was gonna say I that- would, I
1: agree, the- I agree.
0: And whatever you wanna do, I wanna join you. Ah, I, also you. Lost, I lost a child to suicide as well. And I feel what was done to him was so embarrassing. It's one of the most shameful periods in this country's history. And they have a lot of them, but, it, it was so painful and horrible to see. And, you know, I was reading, because it's like the anniversary of his death or something, or was it his birthday yeah. at the moment or something. I was reading earlier that no footballers has ever come out as gay again. None, mm-hmm. not yeah. one. I'm so disgusted.
1: I, I'm going to leave it there. And Joel, I'm going mean, to I mean, before we leave it there, I mean, part of my healing was the documentary his niece did, Alma. That, that documentary gave me some closure because it actually exposed the extent of the family homophobia and especially his brother, you understand me? I mean, how can you pay someone not to be who they are? It's like someone trying to pay me not to be black. I saw that
0: documentary and I thought, I just felt for her like you missed out, you had a gunkle you didn't even get any joy out of it or anything because, and the way, I don't want to, I don't want to talk, I don't want to say anything about it, what I think of his brother. So Aisha, what do you want to say?
2: You missed out. I have four gunkles and it is the best thing in the world. <laughs> if you can, if anyone that's gunkleless out there, get yourself some gunkles. Shout out, gunks.
0: <laughs> Mimi's, Mimi's godparents are all LGBT because I wanted that in her life. Um, she's actually fallen asleep with this thing in her hair
2: now.
0: <laughs> she, um, but I wanted that in her life because you don't know what your kids are going to be. And I wanted her to have someone to go to, to say, I feel this, I feel that. And then aside from that, I wanted her just to know this is completely normal. Do you know what I mean? I didn't, I don't know. That Justin fashion thing made me feel so sad.
3: I had to stop writing, because um, I write about him in my book and I had to stop for two and a half weeks because I just, it, it was so... Traumatic. and I was writing about his faith and trying to write against all of those people that said his Christianity was not genuine. I was saying we, we should at least give him that because it might have been. Um, but I had to just stop. It was so dramatic. Um,
0: we, we have to close now. Um, you guys have been amazing and it's been a really good conversation and uh, Jarrell, like Jude gave some advice. Jarelle, um, anything you want to just leave young black queer kids, Christian kids, anything? You want to say to them before we go?
3: Just keep going. I think that's my that's my life motto. Um, and it's enough. <laughs> just keep going. All
0: right, I'm going to stop the recording now. Thank you guys so much. This has been completely enlightening for me. And I hope the viewers find it exactly the same way. Um, thank you. So thank you for tuning into Black Woman's Hour once again. Uh, you guys just stay online quickly. Um, we're just going to say a quick goodbye.
1: Bye. <laughs> All right. Bye, viewers. Bye, bye, bye. bye.